wonderful. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter number 5 is where we're going to be. Galatians and chapter number 5. Amen. Galatians 5. We're going to read a few verses beforehand that, that, that will lead us down into uh, the beginning of our text that we've been reading. We've been in a series for two weeks on the fruits of the Spirit. And we talked about how in the first time we needed to be good ground. We talked about the different types of soil, four, four types of soil that God divides all of mankind into. And... Um, you know, there's wayside ground and stony ground and thorny ground and good ground. And we talked about the fact that we need to, we need to be what the Bible calls fallow ground. We need to be plowed ground, softened and receptive to the seed of the Word of God. Because God wants to plant something within us and produce fruit in our life, okay? Now remember this. Remember that as we, as we get into Galatians chapter 5, that it's not talking about the fruits of the, of the Spirit. I'm putting the emphasis on that, okay? Because it's not plural, it's a fruit. It's like when, you, like when you have an orange, you have a fruit. And you open the orange, and inside the orange, there are sections of the orange, divisions of the orange, okay? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc., etc., etc. And so it's one fruit. In other words, in other words, this isn't a cafeteria where, okay, I'll take some love, um, I'll, I'll take some joy and a little peace, but I'm not interested in the long-suffering and the gentleness. I, I, don't, I want some things done on the inside of me, but I don't want to have to live those things outwardly, okay? Well, that's not what this is about, okay? You don't get to choose. What the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in your life and in my life is He wants to produce in us His fruit. And that fruit is balanced into those different sections. The first three that we'll see down in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, the first uh, three are inward, the second three are outward, the third three are upward. Okay, they, you know, the first three impact my, my, myself, my, with what's within me. The second three impact my relationship with other people, what's without me. And then the third three really impact my relationship with God. We'll get to that in another Sunday, but some people think meekness is walking around staring at the ground, shuffling your feet. That's not meekness at all. Meekness isn't, meekness isn't what goes on between you and me as much as it is what goes on between me and God. Okay? Now that impacts my relationship with you, but, but it, it deals with me and God. So look with me, if you will, in, in Galatians chapter 5, and let's, let's jump right into verse number 16, and we'll work our way down. Verse number 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, you ought to circle that word spirit and, and that word flesh. If you like to mark in your Bible, it would be good to underline those. Okay, we'll come back to it in a little bit. Verse 17, for the flesh, there's another time, lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So twice in the opening of that verse you have spirit twice and flesh twice, okay? 
And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now watch this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, help us, I pray, as we look now uh, into Thy Word further and in our study here on the fruit of the Spirit, I pray that You would give us exactly, uh, dear God, what we would have need of. And we'll give You the praise and the honor and the glory for all of it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Now last week in, the, in discussing the subject of love, of which there's an immense amount of Scripture donated to, uh, that, that deal with that subject either directly and, or indirectly, one of the two, uh, we learn these things. We learn that we are to love God, we're to love one another, we're to love our neighbor. Remember, who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone that we are near at the moment, okay? So your neighbor, your neighbor may be totally, absolutely a stranger to you. It may be somebody that you don't realize, you don't know, you, have, you, you don't realize anything about them, you, know, you don't realize they're in trouble. It, it may be that you meet them uh, somewhere in, in just a neutral area of life, but whoever you're near at the moment, that is your neighbor, okay? And then we're to love our enemies. So we're to love God, love one another. That should be easier. Sometimes it's not. We're to love our neighbor, whoever we're near at the moment. We should love our enemy. Now remember we talked about this for just a moment, and that is that sometimes, sometimes our neighbor is our enemy. Okay? Sometimes our neighbor is our enemy. We have falling out with the guy next door. So, so as we think of neighbor, we're thinking about the people living around us. And so sometimes that's the case. Sometimes, it's some, sometimes our enemy is someone near us. Maybe it's somebody you've got to work with. Maybe it's your boss. Could be a family member. Hope not, but could be. Your neighbor who is near may be your enemy in your life. Now, the last thing we discussed, everybody, everybody listen, the last thing we discussed is this. And that is that in our church, we want to embrace both truth and love. Okay, listen carefully. If you, if you, embrace, um, if you just embrace um, truth, then, then you can become pharisaical because you can become one of those me-only people where, where you feel like you're, you're above everybody else. You know more than other people know. If, you become, if, you embrace just, if we embrace just love, then our church 
can become very shallow in that we, we have no, no non-negotiable ground. There's nothing we feel so strongly about that, that we wouldn't compromise on, okay? So, so we're to speak the truth in what? Love. Okay, so God wants to bring that balance to us. Now, today we're, we want to look into the second uh, fruit of the Spirit, the second um, section of that fruit, and that is joy. Okay, joy. So the first fruit is love. The second fruit is what? Joy. That, that was overwhelming. Please don't shout back at me. Just whisper it, if you will. Okay, so the first fruit is what? The second fruit is? Okay, so I want you to memorize these because you need all of them. So do I, okay? Every section of this fruit, we want the... Look, that's what the Spirit of God is trying to produce within us. Remember, the first three are within. So the first thing He wants to produce in me is He wants to produce love, okay? Now, we'll look a little bit next week at how these three hinge together because they're, they're, they're all interconnected. Really, they are. And so in order for me to have true joy... Doesn't it make sense that I would have to know how to love? Okay, that's, that's important. We'll talk about it a little more next week, okay, at the beginning of the message. But now, now that we've covered love, God says, here's what I want you to have within you. I want you to have true joy, okay? So I want to make a first point, and that is simply this. Joy lives within us, okay? Joy lives within us. Now, the word joy or rejoice, we'll talk about that a little bit. The word joy, the word rejoice, or the word joyful appear in the Bible 382 times. So it's a frequently used word, and the word joy literally means this. Are you ready? Calm delight. Okay? It's a calm delight. You're, you're, it's something that on the inside gives you delight. It's it's, it's who you are on the inside. It's what you have, I want to say it again, on the inside, okay? So joy is not produced from outward circumstances, all right? That's not where it comes from within. It's not generated by outward things. And in fact, when everything on the outside of you may be in absolute turmoil, inside of who you are, you can have calm. You can have that calm delight. You can have that joy within you even when you're in the midst of a storm and everything is raging about you, you can still have the joy of the Lord. Now, here's our problem. Our problem is sometimes we confuse joy and happiness, okay? We confuse joy and happiness, and, and they're not the same, okay? They're, they're not the same. The reality is this. Happiness is derived from the outside. Joy is derived on the inside. Now, so somebody will say this. Well, yeah, but the Bible says in Psalm 144, verse 15, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Happy is that people who is in such a case whose God is the Lord. Now, now listen to me carefully. If you'll study those preceding verses before that, you'll find out that it's talking about outward blessing. 
If you go to Psalm 144 and start looking at the verses that precede verse 15, it all talks about how God has blessed the people of God. And then it says in verse number 15, Happy is that people that is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. So here's the reality of the matter. The people of God should both have joy and happiness. The difference is, is that joy is perpetual, but sometimes happiness isn't, okay? You don't, you, you don't go to a doctor and he says to you, okay, you, you, you're, you, you, got, you got some problems. We got to do some major surgery on you. And you say, <laughs> and he says, uh, that's a strange response. And may I ask why you're laughing? Because I'm happy. I'm a Christian. I'm excited. I'm, I just can't wait to, yeah, I, I'm really excited about this surgery. No, that, that's, that's ridiculous. So, so that circumstance doesn't make you happy. But you have a calm delight in you. About what? About the fact that you know the Lord and that He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And unlike other people, you're not going through that surgery alone under the skill of the doctor, you're going under that surgery alone under the skill of the doctor and the watch care of a heavenly father who loves you and is taking care of you, okay? And so, yes, the people, how many of you have something at, at your house that you're happy? How many of you have a motorcycle? Can I see your hand if you have a motorcycle? Three, four, good. We got some good folks in here. Now, listen to me carefully. These guys are happy, Okay, those are happy men, all right? How many, how many of you have a, a car that you really like, okay? All right, yes. Nathan Larson, get your hand up. Get his hand up. Good night. He's driving a Challenger, and he's sitting back there indifferent to God's Word as it's preached. No, look at me. Look at me. So, so there, there are things that you're happy about, okay? You're, you're, you're happy, okay? Every one of us have some things if I, were to, if I were to ask everyone, and you had to answer, I went down, tell me something God's blessed you with. It may be your children. Uh, uh, I certainly hope it would be. But, 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 uh, but, but I'm talking about material things. You know what the people of God are? We're blessed. Now, God doesn't give us everything we want, but you know full well there's some things that you have in your life that you look at and you say, wow, God gave me that. That's a gift. That's a gift from God. You know, a great, you, know what a, you know what a great thing to do is? Is to remember that. And any time, whatever it is that you're enjoying or you see, pray and thank God for it. It brings about a spirit of gratitude in your life. If it's a car, when you get in your car to drive your car, take a moment and thank God for His blessings. And His watch care over you. So, so the reality of the matter is, is that, yes, God does bless us. But, but now, now listen, the... The, the definition of the word happy has it hinged to the blessings that, that are on the outside of us, and yet the reality is that there are times when we're not happy with what's going on in our life. Okay. When you become void at the moment of happiness, what do you realize? Here's what, here's what we should realize. At some time... Those circumstances are going to change, and we can get happy again. So happiness is a little bit like this, okay? You, you, yeah, it's good. Well, yeah, I feel great today. It's awesome today. And then 
Well, how do you feel six months from now? Well, my, my, my hip, my, i got to have a hip replacement. And so you're down. It, it, it's, it, you're, not, you're not outwardly happy for outwardly things because you're going to have to endure some stuff. But listen to me. Your, your joy, your inner joy should not be a roller coaster that's up and down. While happiness may move, joy should remain steady. Okay? You can be unhappy in your circumstances and still have joy. That's, that's important. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, when, you, when you think about the disciples, these were not necessarily happy men. <laughs> if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find out that, and even in the book of Acts, you'll find out that these men were not what you would consider overly happy men. And the reason was they were basically sharecroppers on land that had been in their family for many generations. But the Roman government came in and, and confiscated basically everything. That's what a publican was. He was a Jew that worked for the Roman government, collected taxes from his own people, paid the government, and skimmed off what he wanted for himself. Really, he, would, he, could, he could take the basic tax and inflated a little bit, and from that is how he made his living. So they were hated by the Jewish people, okay? Who felt like, and by the way, they had, they had no real legal uh, rights against Roman citizens, okay? Roman citizen could, could be abusive to a Jewish person, and the Jewish person had no recourse uh, in court to legally challenge the treatment that, that he was getting. But if you were a Roman citizen then you had all the rights in, in the world. Now, what these disciples were hoping, now stay with me, I know it looks like I'm on a rabbit trail, but it's not, it's a possum trail. So stay with me. So, so th what these Jews actually hoped was that Jesus was going to lead a revolt. Okay, they're sick of this. They're, they're sick of life. They hate Romans. They, they hate the fact that they have set up um, military posts within their city, okay? That's why Pontius Pilate was there. They, they hated it. They hated seeing Roman soldiers walking around real estate that it was once theirs. They hated their lot in life at this moment. And so here's Jesus. He's going to lead a revolt. Why do, you think, why do you think all of the people came out in the crowds and, and threw palm leaves on Palm Sunday? They were, not, they, were not, they were not welcoming a Savior. They were welcoming a military Messiah. Get this burden off of our sol shoulders and these soldiers out of our land. Okay. And so that's what they were hoping for. And if you remember the story after the crucifixion on the Emmaus Road, as they were walking and Jesus, Jesus, you know, not making himself known, walked up amongst the disciples and he said, hey, what's going on with y'all? And, and, and they were dejected and they said, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard what happened to Jesus? And, 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 and this is basically what they said. We hoped, we had hoped, it was all past tense, we had hoped, at one time we thought, we had hoped. We don't have that hope now, but we had hoped that he was going to be 
the one. The one what? The one that set us free by leading a revolt and breaking the chains of the Roman government. Now, stay with me. Everybody with me? He had already taught them, Jesus had already instructed them, that the real estate that God was after wasn't Jerusalem. Now there's coming a day in a future kingdom when Jesus is going to set up His throne in Jerusalem and He's going to rule and reign from there and He's going to rule the world with, a, with an iron fist. Okay? That, that's, that's going to happen. Okay? But not this point. Not at this time. And He taught them that the real estate God was really after was within them. Let me read a verse for you. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. Listen to this. Neither shall they say, he's talking about the future, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God, listen to the statement, is within you. Now we recognize and realize there will come a literal, physical, 1,000-year millennial kingdom that Christ will set up upon the earth where he physically will sit upon the throne of David in Jerusalem and will rule the world from there. But what Jesus is saying to these men is this, the government that I want to set up, I want to set it up within you. I'm not putting my government in Jerusalem right now. I want my government in you. See, the real estate of man's heart is what Christ died for. Your real estate, your heart, you, the, the inner you, that's what he shed his blood for. So, so you're more valuable to him than, than Washington, D.C. I think sometimes, I think that sometimes we view God's kingdom work as to what he's doing in the world around us, and that certainly is true, <coughs> but if we're not careful, we can, we can judge the failure and success by external things, and really what he's trying to do is to do a work inside of his children. And he wants to set his throne up there. And Paul later wrote to the Roman Christians, and he explained to them that God's mightiest kingdom was not without but within. Listen to this verse, Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Now what's meat and drink? It's stuff you set down on the table in front of you. Okay? That's outward stuff. It's thing you throw in your Traeger. Okay? Or, or you, you, you grill it out, okay? That's, that's what it is. Meat and drink, outward. Those things nourish me. No, no. He says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So here's what he said. Hey, here's, here's, here's what the kingdom is. The kingdom isn't these external things that you put your eyes on and, 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 and eat and, and enjoy. No, no. The kingdom of God is inner, its inner qualities, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Okay? So, so what happens is God wants to build within you that delight that's calm, that sense of calm delight, that joy, that in spite of everything else that goes on around you, you still have the joy of the Holy Ghost in that He has given you peace and joy 
in spite of your, in spite of your problems. So, so let me just sum it up and say this. You can find temporary happiness in a successful career, but it won't last. You can only derive so much pleasure from a job. It won't last. You can, if all, of your, if all of your pleasure comes from a relationship with any person in the world, it won't last. Pastor, don't you get great pleasure from your relationship with Susie? Yes, I do. But the reality of the matter is she's human and I'm human, okay? And because of that, there are times that we don't, we don't gel on things, okay? We, we, we don't see eye to eye on certain things. It, it's, not, it's, it's not anything major uh, at all. But, but there are times, because we're two human beings, that we may not see eye to eye on everything, and, and the pleasure and the happiness from our relationship might not be at peak form at that moment. But that doesn't rob from us our joy. Okay? So, so it's important that we... Well, look, some, some of the world's wealthiest people were some of the most unhappy. You ever read the history of Howard Hughes? Some of the world's most famous people. You can walk anywhere... If you were Elvis and people not know you, I mean, he's going around today and people don't recognize him because he's wearing a disguise. But other than that, uh, back in the day, uh, people knew who he was. So if, if, you're finding your, if you're finding your pleasure in wealth, well, it's not going to last. Even if your wealth lasts, your, your pleasure won't. It's, 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 it's not. Sometimes people that have the most are the emptiest. Okay? And we need to realize that. So... Let me just say this, um, your circumstances may determine your happiness, but it will not determine your joy. And listen carefully, I'm going to make a statement that I don't, if you miss everything else I say, don't miss this. Listen carefully. No one and no thing, no event can take your joy from you. You have to surrender it. Okay? Now, somebody can take your happiness. Okay. They can torch your house and you won't be happy. So somebody can rob you of your happiness for the moment. But joy is inside. And the only way they can get to your joy is if you allow them to do so. Okay. Now, number two. This is big. All right, number two. The fruit of the Spirit is in contrast to the works of the flesh. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit. Joy, love, joy, peace. It's, it's contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit, and we see that in, in, in the preceding verses. So, so the Apostle Paul, under the, under the guide of the Holy Spirit, rather than just jumping right down into the fruit of the Spirit and said, okay, hey guys, let me tell you something. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness. No, no. What he does is he says, before I take you in and show you and we discuss the fruit that the Spirit wants to produce in you, I want to show you what's in the world around you. Now, Galatia wasn't a nice place. Okay, Galatia, Galatia was pagan. Okay. It was influenced by Roman 
policies and religion and its moral standards were below <clears throat> what God would have His children live. So Galatia wasn't a nice place. People didn't walk around and say, hey, are you a Christian? Well, we love you. Welcome to Galatia. That's not what happened. In these pagan places, there was persecution involved with people that took a stand for the Lord. All right? So he's trying to get these Galatian Christians to see the difference in what God wants to do in them and what the world is doing outside of them. So he's saying, all right, first thing I want you to do is look around. So he's, he's, having, them, he's having them look at their culture and look at their world. And so he enumerates. He goes into a list. He goes into a list of the works of the flesh. So, and by the way, we saw the contrast. Remember, look in verse number, look in verse number 16 of Galatians 5, spirit and flesh. Look in verse number 17, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. Okay? Verse number 18, spirit. Verse number 19, flesh. So he's contrasting what the Spirit of God wants to do in you and what the world is doing without you, outside of you. All right? Now, now look at, let's just look at it again real quick. Verse number 19. So the works of the flesh are manifest are these. Watch. Adultery. Fornication. Wow. Uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry. Hold it. Witchcraft. Really? Uh, hatred. Isn't that interesting that he, that he butts witchcraft and hatred right up against each other? That's, that's fascinating, isn't it? Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and of such like. So, so what he's saying to them is, is simply this. I want, you to, I, want you to see, I want you to see what's happening in the world around you, but now I want to tell you what God wants to do in you. Don't be people of, of heresies and variants and emulations and lasciviousness and fornication and adultery and hatred and all of the, don't Don't let the culture impact you. Here's what I want out of Here's what I'm trying to do in you. I want you to be a person of love, a person of joy, a person of peace. And so he goes on down the line and he talks about long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and difference. By the way, none of those are found in the world. Notice he didn't name any of that. He named the works of the flesh are bad. Now here's what God's trying to do in you in the midst of everything that you're seeing on the outside of you. This is what God wants to do in you. Now, look at me. So we got the big bully. That's the world outside and we got the work of God on the inside, this is what he's saying. Do not let the things outwardly around you, in your world, in your culture, don't let them rob you of your joy and peace and love that the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in you. Okay? So what happens? Everybody, everybody tuned in? This is what happens. What happens is, as a Christian, we look at the world and we say, oh, oh my soul, it's so bad out there. And we run around like chicken little because an acorn hit us in the head. It's an acorn, not an acorn, okay? All right, it's ball peanuts, not boiled, okay? So let's get our language right so that we can understand 
what the Scriptures is saying to us. So, you know, so this acorn falls out of the sky, hits Chicken Little in the head. Chicken Little runs around screaming what? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. And sometimes Ernie, I, I find Christians that way. One of the things I love about, about Ernie and being able to discuss with Ernie is the balance in his life. Yeah, yes, yes, no, no, yes, there's prophecy. Yes, we're living in the end times. But, but we, we don't run around screaming and yelling like it's caught us by surprise. Okay? Are things getting worse? Yeah, but I'm happy. I'm blessed. And even when my happiness is low, I still have joy. I'm not joining, I'm not joining some group where I go hole up in the desert somewhere and tremble with fear because the booger man is coming. No, no. I, I read the scoreboard. I know who wins the battle. My confidence is in the Lord, and, and, and we, need, we need to keep it that way. Uh, you know, we're living in the end times. Yes, we are. Some, somebody says, well, we're facing unprecedented times uh, of attacks of the adversary. Yep. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I agree 100% we are. Signs of the times are everywhere. Oh, yes, they're everywhere. They're in your newspaper. They're on your television. Okay. If you think 2020 was, was you know, it, it was just a shot in the dark. No, 2020, my dear friend, was a dress rehearsal for the Antichrist. Meaning what? That very probably the curtain's going to be pulled back and the play's going to begin, but thank God I'm going to be out of here. I'm just simply saying, I understand, understand all those, but, but what acorn hits you? Why, why are we so, look, we've read this in our Bible for how long? And now it's happening? And we're all upset about it? No, no, no. We knew this was, we may not have known it was coming, known it was coming this quick, but we knew it was coming. So don't get, don't look, don't get shook because the Bible's coming true. Don't get shook because the Bible's coming true. Listen to me, get happy. Okay, never mind, we'll move on. That didn't go over well. I, I'm just, look, listen. The same guy, his name is Paul, okay? He's the apostle, all right? Listen to me. The same guy that wrote about the end times is the same guy that says we ought to be calm and have love, joy, and peace because that's what the Holy Spirit of God is trying to produce in you. It was the end times when Paul was writing. It's like the last week, Paul was maybe in on Monday. That's fine. We may be in on Friday. That's fine. But we were all in that, that last section of what God is doing on this side of the millennial kingdom and the rapture. Years ago, I was flying, if I recall correctly, from Detroit to Memphis. And I sat next to a guy that it, it, was, it was the year 1999. We had, I don't know, maybe, I think it was like in the fall, maybe September or something. And I asked him what he did, and he began to tell me that he was deeply into computer technology. He had been in with the early guys as they developed this. He wasn't one of the founders, but he was deeply engrossed in that. It was fascinating. 
It was fascinating. He, he began to tell me people that he knew and people that he had worked with and how that he was in on uh, the cutting edge and the launching of what we are very well familiar with today sitting at our own desk or even on our phone. So he's deeply into, into that industry. So as I listened to him and he talked, I was fascinated by what he said. And then I said, well, I want to ask you a question. And he knew I was a pastor. I said, there's a lot going around. And I said, I just, you know, you hear a lot at different meetings that I go to and all. I said, can you, would you tell me what you think about Y2K? It's just a few months away. What do you think is going to happen? This is what he said to me. He said one word. He, first of all, he said, you want me to be honest? I said, absolutely. He said, catastrophic. And then he paused. And then he said, cataclysmic. And I said, really? And he said, bigger than huge. He said, it's going to, it's going to do things in our world that no one can possibly imagine. And he began to name off some friends that he had worked with over the years of his career. And he was telling me that they had quit their jobs and had bought land in places like Arizona and literally were taking their savings and building houses that were basically underground bunkers because they wanted to be safe and have their families safe when the world around them and the grids literally collapsed so that just i mean that i was a younger preacher then and that stuck in my mind i thought my word this is huge and of course you know how pastors are they're going to jump on every hot button subject they can possibly get and so there were tapes and books about y2k everywhere you can buy them real cheap today but anyhow there were tapes and books about y2k everywhere and about what was going to happen and, and, and that kind of thing. I remember one preacher, I remember one, one preacher saying, bless God, uh, you, you're not going to be able to sit on your couch uh, eating donuts and uh, staring at the bottom of your bowl when Y2K hits. And, and he was a controversial evangelist and just take, making the most of this thing. Well, Y2K came and left. And there's a lot of guys in Arizona living with worms. Okay, I mean... They hear something tap at their window, it's a ground mole, and uh, running from the heat. I, I, look, I'm just simply, I'm saying that, that, that quite honestly, the, the reality is what the world needs to see from us is different than that. Okay, now look at me. If you're a child of the living God, what the world needs to see from you and I is, is, um, uh, is, is that we have a joy that is genuine and real within us. If you're running scared and you've let everything in the world shake you, I, I'm telling you that there's a time when the people of God faced oppositions and threats from an adversary that was trying to shut the work down in Nehemiah's day. I mean, you want to talk about adverse situation. People were actively trying to stop the work of God. And yet the word that was given to Nehemiah 
that he delivered to the people in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 is this. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the, uh, the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our, our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, watch this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Things weren't real good out around them. So Nehemiah said, here's what I want you to do. Hey, live. Enjoy life. Go eat. I'm not saying you shouldn't be prepared. I'm saying you shouldn't be scared. Okay? Stop running scared. That, that's, that's not what he's called us to do. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know what we need? You know what we need? We need a revival of joy in the people of God. That's what we need. We need a revival of joy in the people of God. There's no time to get the mully grubs. Well, the culture's changing. Yeah, but God isn't. Well, things are different. Okay, we can fight the things that are different. We can take our stands. We already talked about doing that earlier, but I'm just simply saying that ought not penetrate on the inside of us. God's people are depressed and God's people are discouraged and pastors are, are quitting the ministry because they're spending more time focusing on what's wrong in the world than what's right with the Lord and right within them. They need to see love, joy, and peace in the people of God. Bible prophecy should not alarm us. Bible prophecy should not alarm us. It should comfort us with the joy and peace that our Father's in, in control. You know what Bible prophecy tells me? God's in control. I I'm not scared. Why? God's in control. Did you know this? Did you know this? We talked about it Wednesday night. Nothing can happen to you that doesn't pass by God first. Nothing. Nothing can happen to you if you're a child of God that doesn't pass by God first. Let me ask you this question. This is what I want to ask people. I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to start doing that. Would you be as nearly as doomsday depressed as you are today if your internet was turned off and you had no access to the weird sites you go to and all you could do was read your Bible? Would your Bible... Would your Bible make you that alarmed? Or is it because you click on something and it says, Oh, dude, you know what's happening in the world? When I came home from my cancer surgery, the doctor said to me, You'll probably not need chemo or radiation. We got it all. But I sat in my living room and this great, brilliant thought came to my mind. You need to check the internet. Okay. So I went to my office and clicked on the internet. And you know what I found out 10 years ago? This month, I was, I was gone. I was dying. I was gone. I left my room, went and sat back in my easy chair, and the room was darker, brother. The walls were tighter in. I mean, I, I, I began to think, are you kidding me? Well, they didn't tell me this. And so I lay a couple of nights, and I was like, oh, son, I want to see my grandkids grow up. And you know what I had to do? I had to get in the book and let the book speak to me. Not the nut crew 
out there that's trying to twist us. Look at me. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, just listen. Read your Bible. Get the joy of God in your life. My choir back in, in my home church in Savannah used to sing a song uh, and it lifted it to the rafters. Marvelous message we bring. Glorious carol we sing. Wonderful word of the king. Well, what is that word? <laughs> Jesus is coming again. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. And so don't, don't, don't get discouraged or defeated by the things that are out. The contrast. God said, hey, I know what's going on around you. I know what the world is like around you. Here's what I want in you, joy. Joy lasts in the middle of the storm. Number three, let me say this quickly, and that's just this. This is important, and that is that joy comes from our relationship with Christ. Okay? Okay, now I can... I can find happiness with some things I own. So can you. But joy comes from our relationship with Christ. John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples about relationship. And he, he, he likens it to a vine and its branches. And he's teaching them that the branches draw their sustenance from the vine. And, and, and they need the vine for their life. And that Jesus is indeed our vine. And, and then he tells them, uh, in that same passage that, um, that, that fruit bearing and obedience and love are important in having a strong relationship with Him. Okay, so he's telling about the relationship. He said, now listen, our relationship is based on your obedience and, 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 and your love, and, and these are the things I want to do in you. And, and then, uh, then he talks to them about joy. Boy, that, doesn't that seem strange? Look at me. He's 30 minutes at, at this point. At this point, he, he, he's literally 30 minutes from Gethsemane where he's going to sweat as though it were great drops of blood. 30 minutes before he sweat great drops of blood, he's talking to the disciples about joy. I mean, that just... It's amazing. But wait a minute. Didn't Isaiah describe his, him as a man of sorrows, acquainted, a, a, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief? So if he's a man of sorrow acquainted with grief, what's he doing talking about joy 30 minutes before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane? What he's trying to show us is, is that this, in spite of the depths of his anguish and the rejection of his people and the unimaginable suffering and hum, humiliation, he kept his joy. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Okay? Looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen to this statement. Who for the joy that was set before him did what? Well, he, he, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God the Father. Okay? Wherefore, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. There's the rejection, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. What is he saying? In spite of everything going on, Jesus kept his joy. Now look at me, listen. What he's teaching us, what he is teaching us, 
In John chapter 15, verse 11, listen to what he says to his disciples. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy, this is Jesus talking now, okay? Let's, let's imagine we're all disciples. Are you a disciple? Thank, thank both of you. All right, here we go. So let's imagine we're all disciples right here, okay? This is Jesus talking to us. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might be, might remain, that's a key word, that my joy might remain. He didn't say that my joy might just visit, no, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Jesus said, you'll see 30 minutes from now, I'm going to be sweating as though it were great drops of blood, but my joy remains. I'm going to be rejected of my people, but my joy remains. I'm going, I'm going to be spat upon and cursed, but my joy remains. They'll pluck the beard off of my face, but my joy remains. I'll be sent to the Roman whipping post, but my joy remains. They'll take a spear and pierce my side, but my joy remains. They'll drive nails through my hands and through my feet, but my joy remains. Every bone in my body, every bone in my body will, will be out of joint, but my joy remains. And he said this, he said, I want, that's the joy I want in you. That's what I'm trying to produce in you. I want my joy to remain in you. Why? So that your joy might be full, regardless of your circumstance. Now, let's take a cup. I should have brought a cup up here. Let's take a cup. How many of you can imagine? You see a cup in my hand? Do you? Okay, well, look. Pay attention. There's a cup here, all right? In this cup, it will hold 16 ounces, okay? So I'm not going to make you guess. I'm, I'm telling you, this is a 16-ounce cup, okay? So I'm not, this isn't a trick quiz. 16 ounces will go in this cup. I want to tell you something. We get jostled through life and problems in life, sloshed around, knocked around. You know what? We run on empty too much. But if I say, hey, I want you to follow me today, and I take my cup, and I take you up to Lucky Peak, or we go over to Lincoln City, and I dip it in the ocean, it ain't, it ain't running out. Why? Because the reservoir is unending. See, see my joy... What I muster up within myself, it, it doesn't last long. But Jesus said, no, I want my joy to remain in you so that your joy will, and here, here's the thought, so that your joy will always be full and that you'll never run on empty. So when I'm, as the Bible calls, in Christ Jesus, you know what? I got so much joy. I'm in his joy and his joy's in me. My cup is full. Why? Because it's in him. And I never run out. I may lose happiness, but I don't lose joy. Last of all, I'll close with this. And that is that joy is a choice. Okay? Now, we'll, we'll, we'll visit this next week for just a moment at the beginning of the message. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice now let me tell you what the word rejoice means okay it means to rejoy means to rejoy <laughs> something happens in your life and it's like 
And you start letting it on the inside, you start getting empty. So what does he say? It's a choice. Rejoy. Rejoy. Okay? Rejoy. I used to fill my Indian up with like $11. I filled it up the other day. It's like 27-something. I'm suing. But anyhow, yeah, so, so there's, what do you have to do? When the light gets on your vehicle, you've got to refuel. So when your, joy begins to, when your joy begins to die out and you find yourself running on happiness and it's not doing well and you realize that something's missing on the inside, you have to make a choice. Nope, I'm not letting that in. I'm going to rejoy. I'm going to pull back up. I'm going to let His joy remain in me. And I'm going to move forward. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. God has already told us, here's my fruit. I want to produce it in you. You have to choose to be fallow ground. Listen to me carefully, and I close. Joy is a choice. And so is misery. You get to choose either one. You get to choose either one. Now, my happiness may wane, but my joy, his joy, should remain. Let's, let's bow our heads. Now, I don't know, I don't know what's gotten inside, but you do, okay? How many times have I said this to you? It's not the ship in the water that sinks. It's the water in the ship. What sinks the ship is when the water gets in the ship. So the works of the flesh are everywhere. This is a, this is a crazy world we're in right now. Crazier than we've ever seen it. It's stark raving mad. But Jesus said, hey, in the middle of all of that, I want my joy to remain in you, to stay steady, to be there, thick and thin. Good days, bad days. When everything goes right and everything goes wrong, I want you to have joy. Maybe you just need to rejoice today. Maybe you need to get back with the Father and just say, Lord, I need, I need, I need some joy. I've lost my joy. I'm losing my joy. I'm, I'm giving my joy up. I need to rejoy today. Father, we thank you today for your word. Pray that you'll bless us and use us. Help us, dear God, I pray this week, that we might live in front of a, a darkened world as light, that they might see in us that love, that joy, and that peace that they can't find anywhere, anywhere in their culture. Lord, help them to be able to see it in us that we might tell them that you are the source of it all. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.